0: Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional custodians of the land on which this work was developed and is presented. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome back to the Community Library. I'm your host, Gary Rice. And I'm Bonnie. And this week, we're going to be talking about Clap When You Land by Elizabeth Acevedo. So, welcome back to the podcast, Bonnie. I am so excited to have you here.
1: I'm very happy to be
0: here. It it brings me great joy. It brings me great joy. If you guys remember, if you guys were here way back in season one, episode one, Bonnie was there. At the birth of this <laughs>
1: podcast, I was the midwife at the birth. You were. Of the podcast.
0: Oh my gosh. Bonnie and I did the never ending story together. And then we did an episode on female friendships in books, which was super fun. So both of those episodes will be linked if you want to give them a listen. We've come a long way since then, I think. We've cut our hair. We have begun a pandemic. Um.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably both been overseas in the time. Yeah, you went to Japan. Gosh, Japan. You've been jet-setting, as usual. <laughs>
0: oh gosh, <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> This week, we're both going to talk about Clap When You Land. This is a book that I chose, and I asked Bonnie to do it with me because I remember quite clearly back in ye olde high school times when Bonnie was, and probably still is, really into slam poetry.
1: Yes. It's it's an ongoing phase of me deep diving Button Poetry's YouTube channel (laughs) for hours and just being like, wow, people really can write
0: Good words. (laughs) People really can write good words and they can say them in a really good way. That's the moral of this podcast. People really can write good words. (laughs) And so Clap When You Land is a novel told in verse. I don't know how you read it, but I read it via audiobook and Elizabeth Acevedo narrates it herself. And it's incredible to hear it performed in that way. Just the cadences, the musicality of it. I loved it. So how did you how did you read it?
1: I read it, um, I have my paperback here. I really would like to listen to it though. I read a lot of it out loud because it's hard not to, is what I found when I was reading it. I was like, this it should be spoken. You can read the rhythm, but it does need to be said and it's written in a way that is how it should be said, I feel like. Mm. I read a lot of it out loud to myself in my house.
0: I also wanted to choose this one for a more personal, selfish reason. This is coming off the back of me reading 22 sonnets in 22 days so i was reading shakespeare's sonnets and i was like i just want to read a different form of poetry as well so i chose kind of the opposite like as far as you can go away from shakespeare like a very different form of verse and poetry but it was so fascinating for me to kind of read them both at the same time and see the similarities and the differences
1: it is everything we wanted Shakespeare to be when we analysed him in literature class.
0: (laughs) Don't you wish we had analysed Elizabeth Acevedo's writing instead? I haven't annotated a book in so long and when I tell you I annotated the shit out of this book (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that makes me so happy. So for those of you who haven't read Clack When You Land or who are interested to know what it's actually about, <laughs> it's about two half sisters. Camino lives in the Dominican Republic and Yahaira lives in New York City and they don't know about each other. And every year in the summer, Camino's father visits her in the Dominican Republic for three months but this time she goes to the airport and she realizes that the plane has crashed and her father has died and so Camino and Yahaira are both kind of dealing with grief and dealing with the death of their father and on top of that learning about all the secrets that he kept when he was alive and how those secrets begin to unravel and come to light uh, after his death So we touched on this a bit before, but just talking about writing style, I mean, I think that's what makes this book so unique and fresh and interesting and just delicious to read. I think I was
1: hesitant because I know you and I have both talked our shit about poetry books and (laughs) there have been hits and misses in the past. And so I was like, where are we going in of like, is writing in verse going to add to the story? Is it there to be pretentious or is it there because it works? And because it's a story about teenage girls, are we going to lose that voice? And the voice of teenage girls in the writing style being more rhythmic and like not necessarily how a teenage girl would speak. But it is done perfectly. It's done so perfectly. And it's written how it should be read and spoken. Camino's Thoughts are in triplets, where your hires are in couplets, I think. Yeah, so in the chapters that are about them both, you can tell who's thinking. And on the page, it's really obvious when there are, like, sort of asides or breakaways. When you're writing in a Word document, you can have, like, centre, or you can have to the left, or to the right. (laughs) Like, most of the novel is is to the left. (laughs) And then some of it's to the. There are like a few sort of aside passages that are to the right of the page. In places where I think that has failed in other novels and hasn't served the storyline in this book visually and like rhythmically and lyrically, it serves to show, I think, the ups and downs of grief the flows and abrupt stops and how it can feel disjointed, you can see that and read that in simply the structure of the novel, which I thought was fucking genius.
0: Yeah, it's interesting what you say about how it looks, because obviously I didn't get that from the audio. Um, And there are places where you can hear her take a breath and pause and when it's slightly disjointed because of the way it's placed on the page. Poetry... And this form of poetry is both, at the same time, a very visual expression and also a very oral expression. Both of these ways of experiencing poetry, whether you listen to it or read it on the page, they both inform the meaning. And I think that's something that's so unique because you don't really get that with prose in the same way. You know, you have a chunk of dialogue or you have a paragraph and it's just formatted in a certain way to make it easy to read. But in poetry, the way that it's visually set out can give just as many clues as when it's read out loud and you hear the rhymes and the rhythms. So that's really interesting what you say about that. And also that we experienced the story kind of in a different way. Yeah, I hadn't
1: even thought about the fact that you wouldn't have seen it until now. Like, yeah. Even though it's in verse, it's breaking away from traditional form in that sense of like, It's turning oral
0: into visual
1: or the other way around, which I think is smart and brave to do in a novel.
0: What you were saying about how it serves the story, something I think about a lot of the time is like, can this story be told in any other form? I think what makes a good play or a good poem or a good film is that this story could not be told in any other way than how it is portrayed as a film or a play or a poem. And reading this story, I can't imagine it in any other form. I think it's so perfect and I don't think she could have told it in prose. It doesn't feel like she's come up with this idea for a story and then fitted it into this form. It's like these two things exist at the same time and you can't have one without the other do we want to talk about the characters i'd love to talk about the characters this is a very character driven novel you've kind of got the catalyst at the beginning of the story that sets everything into motion and that's the death of the father and then from then on in it's just about how these characters deal with grief and death who do you want to talk about first which sister did you have a favorite i didn't have a favorite
1: drawn towards Yahara for the whole gay aspect. <laughs> she has a hot plant girlfriend, how could I not love her?
0: Kamino, you want to talk about Kamino first?
1: I guess the story starts with her, so we can start there.
0: Yeah. Um. Well, first of all, what did you think of her? Did you connect to her? What did you think of her storyline, how she deals with grief, all that?
1: I definitely did. Connect to her. I connected to both the characters, like you know that like teenage girl nature that I think is in every woman, <laughs> just <laughs> rang so true in both the characters. And like obviously circumstantially for me and Camino as a character, completely different. But I thought the way that she dealt with sort of the unknown with tenacity and stubbornness very relatable (laughs) as a very stubborn person
0: i really liked reading that i felt represented (laughs) yeah what are your thoughts I loved her character. I found her so easy to connect with. And I guess there are a few interesting things about her character that intrigued me. The first is her relationship with water and swimming. The Dominican Republic is an island in the Caribbean. Her house is really close to the beach. And she talks about her relationship with the water and how that is affected by two things. First of all, her dad's plane crashing into the ocean. And also the fact that the beach borders like a really nice resort. And around there hangs this awful, awful man who uh, is just a perv and a pedophile and a stalker, basically. She knows him and she kind of grew up around him and she was friends with his sister. and, And he is just very awful and is always hanging around the beach. I loved that kind of push and pull with her character where the beach and the water is something that gives her so much joy and it gives her so much life. And yet because of these two things that have happened, she really struggles to connect with that and struggles to enjoy it. And it's like it's it's this thing that's been tainted and taken away from her.
1: There are multiple moments in the book where she goes to the beach seeking like freedom or escape or peace of mind even then what like you said the push and pull of like because her father's not there to protect her it's tainted and it's not safe and I I enjoyed those passages because we got the physicality of her swimming and her connection to the water and memories of her father swimming and and then the physicality of, like, I'm in this young female body and I'm watched, and I I thought that that was very relatable in that, like, I think every girl or woman can probably relate to the feeling of I'm just enjoying my body and I'm enjoying what it's doing, and then the contrast of, oh, but I'm being watched and there's gaze that is unwanted being pushed onto me. Yeah, the balance of this really, like, beautiful physicality in the water versus being hyper-aware of, How you look and your body and the gaze being put onto it was very relatable.
0: Yeah. I didn't know about this going in that um, Camino, her tia is a healer and kind of a midwife. And she goes around and she helps people deliver babies or when they're ill. And and so Camino tags along and is her apprentice basically and and has all this knowledge about nursing and healing. I was reading that thinking of you because you're studying nursing and midwifery and i was like oh my gosh this is like so cool so i was curious to hear your thoughts on that and how that was represented and how you liked that storyline
1: yeah i i really loved it this is just getting into my like personal ideology but i have a lot of (laughs) hang-ups with you know western nursing and midwifery because it isn't necessarily person-centered or patient-centered and we have all of these medicines and interventions and I think we jump to conclusions with interventions before we acknowledge what might be best for the well-being of the patient and like those are sort of some of the reasons why I wanted to go into nursing and midwifery because I wanted to be someone who could give a more person-centered or patient-centered care. And so what I liked about this novel was medicine that is about healing and is about doing what that person needs and is very spiritual, which isn't something I personally connect to, but I think is just as valuable for many people in terms of medicine and healing as our Western medicines and interventions. I found it so, so beautiful reading about two women going to just help other people and the way that Camino at one point, I think spoke about death being like, you can go into someone's house of who is definitely dying, but you do not talk about dying. You, you take care of them. Like, I felt that in my heart. That's at the core of all medicine and all healing. And I, I just like the idea of just women just healing other women. That's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> That's so lovely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and it also offers such a juxtaposition, one of my favorite words to use. <laughs> a dichotomy, if you will. <laughs> Um, with life and death, because in the novel, Camino helps deliver her best friend's baby. Another thing is that this healing is kind of born out of necessity because she talks about how a lot of the people in her community can't afford to go to hospital and so she helps deliver her best friend's baby just the descriptions of the baby taking its first breaths and Tia almost performing that miracle it's a premature baby and it's quite weak and fragile and they're not sure if he's gonna make it and then he does and she talks about the miracle of life and seeing a person coming into the world and it's such a big contrast when you start a novel off with death and then towards the end there's life and I think that is so beautiful
1: Mm. there's a passage right at the beginning of the novel in the section marked the day that reads I'm beginning to learn that life-altering news is often like a premature birth ill-timed, catching someone unaware, emotionally unprepared, and often where they shouldn't be. And I didn't realise that that was there until I kind of went through and I was looking at my annotations. But it is obviously foreshadowing, as we love to use in literature, as we <laughs> in do In <state>. literature class. <laughs> birth and death are so intertwined in this story. And we see, you know, the death of their father and then the birth of their sisterhood, essentially, and the birth of this young child and perhaps the birth of opportunity for Camino with the money and and then the death of life as they knew it and truth as they knew it. I think it's really beautiful that this book has a birth and a death and shows how just inherently linked they are.
0: Yeah. Camino's relationship to America is also interesting, I think, because, and you were talking about opportunity and how she uh, kind of goes on this journey to get an opportunity to leave the Dominican Republic because she talks a lot about how girls her age and we see this in the example of her best friend often drop out of school to work and support their families or they get pregnant and they have to support their family and so she talks about how America for her is an escape and an opportunity to go to university and to live a more fulfilling life but Of course, her plans are halted when her father dies and suddenly they don't have an income. Suddenly she doesn't know where she's gonna get her visa from. I really liked that yearning for something else and just wanting to get out and to to get that opportunity, but also feeling so grounded in home.
1: I can't imagine the loss of not only a relative and someone you love and care about, but also the future that you had pictured for yourself and it is in the novel, that just feels so profound. I loved reading Camino's cognitive dissonance even between the US being an escape and being how she sees her future and then her deep connection to home in the Dominican Republic. One of the first lines is something about like, I can't wait to be rid of mud or something. I know too much of mud and yearning for stable ground. And then I think, Towards the end of the novel when there's talk of her going home with Yahira, Her being like, how can you leave somewhere that you've called home your whole life?
0: It almost feels like the end of the story is just the beginning because we know there's going to be so much more to come. Maybe she'll write a sequel. I don't know. I'd read it. I would
1: definitely (laughs) read it. Yeah.
0: And so across the Atlantic in the US is Yahira. I loved Yahira's relationship with chess. That's a big thing in the novel. And her relationship with chess is interesting, especially the way it's told in the book, because it's always in hindsight. Because at the start of the book, she has stopped playing chess. And so we're learning about her relationship and her journey with chess in hindsight. Very similar to how we're learning about the character of Puppy because we only learn about him in memories and hindsight because he dies at the beginning. Yeah, in the way that Camino's verse is all about water and mud and nature and we have all these metaphors in that way, Yahira's metaphors are all about chess and the game and strategy and she talks about her being a queen and never like taking your eyes off the prize and like Always focusing, never let them see you sweat.
1: I don't know the first thing about chess, I've never won a game in my life. I don't know if your primary school had chess club, but mine did, and I was not a part of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I loved the way that she could look at things logically, like they were a game, like they had bits that added up, and moves that had consequences. and like Because Yahaira knows from the beginning of the novel that her father had another wife, as well. So she already has a little more insight into the fact that there is something else to her father more so than Camino does. She's not not emotional, but I, I liked the dichotomy, as we say, <laughs> as we say between like Camino's more fluid way of thinking and those metaphors that are related to water and spirituality and emotionality. And Yahira's more sort of strategic play by play and internalization as well, I think, of things. She's stoic. I think Kamino is also stoic as well, to be fair, but probably less so. Like they're both
0: just go getters. They both really do have their eyes on the prize. So Yahira has rejected chess chess is tainted for her because the last day she played test it was her last tournament and she was coming home on the train and she was by herself because her dad was in the Dominican Republic and her mom was somewhere else and she was by herself and she was sexually assaulted on the train and in her mind these two things are related because when she got home the only person she wanted to talk to was her dad and she called him and she called him and he never picked up and when she told him she was going to quit chess, he didn't ask her why. He was just disappointed that she was giving up something that she had worked so hard for. She's similar to Camino in that way in that the thing that she loved was changed by her relationship with her father and by her encounter with a predatory man. Both of these girls have that experience and I don't think it's... coincidence and i also don't think it's uncommon in the lives of women in general something i found really funny
1: was the first time that that moment where she is sexually assaulted is referred to it's referred to as the thing that happened in the book it's all capitalized and as soon as i read that i was like she was sexually assaulted because i've used that exact phrase referring to things that have happened being like oh that that thing that happened Happened, and I felt like as soon as I read that I was like I know where this is going how sad and also genius it is like it's so universal and I think a lot of this novel is about like you know all of our present characters and protagonists are women and I think they relate to each other the sisters relate to each other I think through their experience with predatory men and their lives have sort of played out similarly because of that but also we're seeing grief and complexity put onto these women through the secrecy of their father and the not so morally right things that he did. And I think a lot of this book is about sort of the actions of men and the effect that they just inherently have on the women around them. It was nice to read a book that was kind of unapologetic about that.
0: I really want to talk about The Father, which relates to what you were saying just then. But before we do, one more thing about Yahira, which we got to talk about is the queerness which we love I to see. was
1: so excited I didn't know going in and then I was like is that is that a g- girlfriend is that a girlfriend I see <laughs> oh my god I could have cried like just the really pure teenage romance. It hurts so good. And it was just so lovely to read an established queer relationship. This wasn't a coming out story. This wasn't a story about being gay. It was just cheese queer, she's in a relationship with a girl, and that adds to her character, but it's not all that her character is, and it made my heart sing. It just made me so happy, and some of the things that she says are just like so lovely. Like at one point she's like, the first time that Dre and I saw each other naked or lay together naked or something. I wanted to thank my mother for giving me a body that she could touch so beautifully. And I was like, I'm going to bawl my eyes out. That's so beautiful.
0: It was just so precious and wonderful to see and also to see to see a queer relationship that was so healthy and that wasn't the drama but I also really liked that it was addressed I I liked that you know she talked about being gay with her family and like how her family reacted to that because I think it is an ever-present Thing that Yahiro would be consciously aware of and constantly aware of, and also when she when she introduces Dre to Camino, there's like that moment of like, Ugh. and and that word girlfriend like hangs so heavy in the air when she first says it around Camino.
1: You know, this isn't a coming out novel, but it didn't throw away the fact that queer people just have to come out all the time. It felt so realistic and it wasn't the drama of the book. It was like the light of the book. It was like this little beautiful corner, much like, obviously different relationships, but much like Camino and Thea. It's just a beautiful light connection in this story that is about divide and confusion. And she's, Dre is just like, she just plants things. Like she's just a (laughs) hippy dippy bitch, like,
0: oh. (laughs) Please, I love that. Who listens to jazz and plants tomatoes? Like, uh, who is she? Where can I find her? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Do we want to tackle oh, puppy, puppy's character? I think we should. He's a big one. He's a big one. So you were talking about this before. How puppy as a character, his actions continue to affect the girls after his death probably even more so than when he was alive because when he dies all of these things come out about him and so much of this book is about how women are affected by the poor decisions of men <laughs> but what's interesting is we have these parallels of like the villains the male villains like the guy on the train and the guy in the Dominican Republic on the beach and They are so clearly the villains and they are painted as wrong and bad. And then when it comes to Puppy, I I loved how that complication was explored because they loved him so much and you really see their love and see how he would have been this lovable, big, bright personality in their lives. But at the same time, they're struggling with that guilt of... Realizing that he made some really poor decisions that really negatively affected them. You know, wrestling with that guilt and that guilt after someone has died. You know, when someone dies, it's everyone wants to talk about how wonderful they were and how good they were. But these girls are kind of robbed of that opportunity because their whole lives are changed by his secrets.
1: It's interesting as the reader, because we obviously don't meet Puppy. We're seeing him through Camino and Yohaira's perspectives which are clouded because there are things that they don't know and things that they uncover and I mean we the reader know more than they do for a lot of the novel. I, I think I said this before but I think there are a lot of novels about the inner conflicts of men making morally dubious decisions. <laughs> you know there's a lot of novels about men's brains and I, I like that we're only hearing about him through the effects of the actions that he made in his life. We see glimpses of the fact that he was a really good dad to both of the girls and he enriched their lives and he taught them so much and even though he wasn't there all the time, they don't really talk about any flaws in his character and, and then obviously uncovering the fact that who he was wasn't a lie, but there was so much more to him and... The differences between how he was in the Dominican Republic versus the US and how he treated the girls and the opportunities he was able or not able to give them. Like, he really did seem to lead a double life and although he was a good father within those individual lives that he carved out for himself, the dishonesty, I don't know if the girls come to a conclusion about whether that is reconcilable with the experiences that they've had with their father
0: yeah and I but I like that it isn't because it's such a complicated process to forgiving someone when you can't talk to them and you can't work it out in that way I think in my mind the story is so much about parallels and you've got these two parallel versions of puppy and these parallel sisters and their parallel lives and these figures in their life that kind of mimic each other and it's like this duality and what happens when that intersects and how impactful that is what you were saying about you know men's actions and how they affect women puppy was probably a very complicated person you could write a whole book on him and his actions but in the end it doesn't matter what the man was thinking or or how damaged he was or or his upbringing what matters is is the effect on these women and the effect of his actions and that is what that is what survives Papi after he dies you know good and bad good and bad (laughs) the novel
1: really explores that gray area i think it explores the binary of one sister with one life another sister with another life but then that gray area between us we don't know why he did what he did we'll never know there's no we can't conclude whether he was a good Or a bad person. And the book doesn't try to, I don't think. The girls have their feelings and their anger and their sadness and their excitement and their confusion. But at the end, I think it's just he's an incredibly complicated person. Like, obviously, it's so fucking clear, and it's, like, the whole point of the book, but, like, in mind fucks me so much that it's, like, he died right in the middle. Like, he crashed into the ocean in the grey area between the two. Like, obviously, yeah, that's the whole novel. (laughs) But, like... (laughs) wow that it that's crazy bro <laughs> and everything is lost in at the bottom of the ocean between the two siblings all the answers are gone obviously that's the metaphor that this whole book is based around essentially but when i finished it, i just could not stop thinking about how massive and powerful it is that he didn't die one place or another he died in the middle and he left those two sides to find one another
0: do we want to talk about the matriarchs or mother figures in the books? With Camino, her mother died when she was young uh, and she is taken care of by her aunt or dear. And then Yahaira uh, lives with her mother and Yahira and her mother have a very fraught relationship. There's that amazing scene towards the end. Oh my god, the climax of the book. Uh, what happens is, Camino is assaulted by El and she is rescued by her sister Yahaira and Thea and Mami. And it's these, this collection of three women coming to the rescue and saving her. It's such a powerful moment.
1: It's so painful and so beautiful, and just yeah. like that instinctual nature of Thea with her machete and Yahaira just holding Camino, like. The power in women and femininity and that instinctual nature of protection,
0: no matter how fucked up and fraught those familial ties are. Something I really loved about that moment is that she made it clear that that wasn't the superhero moment and then it would all be fine. She made it clear that, like, sure, they they saved her that time and he ran off scared and they got the passport and the money back, but... They said, he will be back, we need to get out of here. And I think that is also just as important as showing these women being strong and defeating this horrible, horrible man is showing the reality of they won the battle, but the war is still raging on. I liked that a lot, um, even though it was, you know, tragically realistic.
1: But it, it is good because it it isn't over. And it isn't over for Camino once that assault is over. Yeah. It isn't for Yahira when she was assaulted on the train, it doesn't end when she's safe off yeah. the train. And I liked that the book acknowledged that, and acknowledged that you can be a badass woman, but bad things can and probably will still happen, because yeah. that just is the
0: world. A theme I loved about this book was the idea of home and place how your identity is connected to where you live. That is a sentiment that I love. I love it when it's explored in books because I feel a personal connection to it cuz I travel a lot and I am very much a homebody and I take comfort in not only my home as a physical space but also my community where I live. And so so whenever that's talked about in books, I just I I love it. And something I was really intrigued by in this book in particular was Yahaira's relationship with the Dominican Republic. She says, can you claim a home that does not know you? And I thought that was so powerful because she feels really connected to the Dominican Republic because where she lives, it's a very Dominican American community and they speak Spanish at home and Spanish is her first language, but she's never been there. And when she arrives, it's such a an overwhelmingly emotional experience for her to be there. A homecoming, but not, but
1: yes, but not. You know, it's yeah. really fraught, that connection to, like, culture and country. And the difference between Yahaira's connection to the Dominican Republic a place that she's never been as a home of sorts, and Camino's connection to the U.S. as the escape from the confines of her home and, like, the barriers that where she's from might place on her in terms of, like, living the life that she might want to live. I thought that was really interesting, watching both of the sisters yearn for the other place as the unknown and as a potential home or a potential place for them to be.
0: Yeah, and also the idea of the US, you know, the privilege of having a U.S. passport and what that means. When Yahira comes to the Dominican Republic, Camino almost feels resentful. She feels resentful that she can just buy a plane ticket and come here and Camino cannot do that she has to go through visa applications and interviews and all of that stuff because of her passport and they have the same father (laughs) they're the same age but it's that privilege of passport and also on the other side of it Yahaira comes to the Dominican Republic and feels ashamed because her Spanish isn't as good as she thought it was it's all this complicated twisted up Identity stuff. And it's it's so interesting
1: how, like, just because of their father and his travel and his dual lives, these girls' identities are caught up in that, you know? If he hadn't built two lives, I think that their relationship to place might have been different the way that his duality reflects in them and they both feel dual identities and dual homes and dual connections to places, even though they might never have been there. I think that's really interesting to see the effect that it has on them in that sense. Yeah,
0: and they talk about how Puppy has split himself in two. Like, that is such a prominent image that they always talk about. And I think by the end of the novel, the girls have also split themselves in two. Because we're left with the prospect of Camino going to the U.S. So we're left with half of her is in the Dominican Republic and half of her is in the U.S. And same with Yahira, She, you know, half of her will always be in the U.S. But now she's left part of her behind in the Dominican Republic. And so in a way, they kind of mimic the journey that their father took as well in splitting themselves in two and, and having this shared identity across two countries powerful stuff. Good
1: words, (laughs) written well, as we say.
0: (laughs) There's one more note that I have here. We wrote the exact same thing in our notes, which is brilliant. Uh, Nature versus nurture. I just
1: watched Three Identical Strangers, the documentary on Netflix. It's irrelevant, but it goes into nature versus nurture and it's about triplets who are separated at birth and they were studied by a very immoral scientist essentially and the results of that study were never published but for the people who are sort of connected to that they essentially have said that like it's a lot more nature than we'd like to believe as human beings who enjoy to say that we have free will and i thought reading this seeing the similarities in the sisters that maybe they don't want to see they only meet towards the end of the novel and I think it's very tense understandably because you know there's resentment both ways but the fact that they are both very headstrong and powerful and passionate and intelligent and even though they were raised in very different circumstances and despite the fact that they were both raised by puppy he was different to both of them and I think he gave them different things when they were growing up
0: that so many things about
1: them are very similar,
0: I guess it is in their case, nature and nurture kind of cross over because they are raised by the same man i mean can you Can you just imagine learning about a sibling? It would
1: strip your identity while also enriching it. Like, it's just, it's so full on. The reaction that they both have for Camino, she's like, I have a blood relative. Like, this yeah. is the last of me. Like, that is so profound. And they both have this, like, quite guttural reaction.
0: There was an incredible part in the book that just, like, hit me I I didn't write down the exact quote but like when I heard it I was like that's it that's the book she says that the other sister is the only one who can understand her pain but she is also the cause of the pain
1: it's like the only person in the whole world who could possibly understand what this is but also the only reason that this is is because of her this is really off topic for what we're talking about, but I just wanted to mention, I thought it was worth mentioning, one of my favorite parts of the book is when Camino first, like, Facebook messages Yahira and then Yahira like, isn't replying, and so she's just like, I stopped looking at my tablet, I turned off my tablet, like, <laughs> risky text vibes, like, we've all been there, like, every time I send a risky text, I'm like, I'll just turn off my phone, <laughs> it's fine.
0: I put it on airplane mode. I'm like, ooh, risky text, airplane mode. When I read that, I was like, yes. Like, this
1: is a book about teenage girls. And I, a teenage girl do that many
0: times (laughs) and that's the thing it was so relatable in that sense because it was told in verse and it was so lyrical and poetic same as you I was apprehensive that I would lose that connection and that youthfulness but we didn't it was still you know it was so much about teenage girls and at the same time I think teenage girls are poetic like us in year 10 we were like poetic as shit yeah (laughs) yeah we were (laughs) I think that's why I really like Elizabeth Acevedo's style because she doesn't underestimate like how beautiful and poignant and emotional teenage girls can be while at the same time sending a risky text and freaking out and throwing their phone across the room without like maturizing that's not a word but you know what I mean like I know exactly what you mean (laughs)
1: pretending that a teenage girl is an adult and without taking away the fact that she's young and she shouldn't have to be mature. It it was a really beautiful balance between like this is a young girl and she's allowed to have young girl problems and like feel her feelings but she also has the ability for profound thoughts and emotions and intelligence and lyricism and poetics. Good book
0: well written. I stamped this one good. <laughs> it's in the good pile not the bad pile ladies. <laughs> Before we close off do you have a final rating? What do you rate out of five? It's whatever you want it to be. I rate out of five stars. Okay well I'm gonna think of something fun. Um... <laughs> you did this last time <laughs> when we did the never ending story I was like I rate out of five you can do whatever you want and you were like hmm I'm gonna do like 7.2 out of 11. <laughs>
1: Sorry that I'm on brand and I haven't changed in like two years. I don't (laughs) me. I rate it four and a half dads who died in the middle of the ocean out of five. (laughs) Oh my god. Actually, like it could be a five out of five. I don't have any major critiques. I really enjoyed it. But five out of five just seems very big.
0: (laughs) I originally rated it four out of five because I don't give out half points anymore. I used to, but I don't. I'm a changed woman. So four out of five is like super close. But now, and this this also happened with 100 Years of Solitude, after talking about it and dissecting it, I want to bump it up to five.
1: I don't think you would change anything about this book.
0: I will give it five... What's something much nicer? I will give it... <gasps> I will give it five tomato plants out of five. That's, that's
1: beautiful. You're a much better person than I am, but we already knew <laughs> <need> that.
0: <laughs> and finally, do you have anything to plug in these times of corona? I plug... Being self aware and perhaps
1: looking into the land that you're inhabiting, and if you can pay rent or reputations to the traditional owners and custodians of that land. And
0: just opening your awareness out to that. That is what I will plug. That is a great plug. You're welcome. (laughs) God, what's my plug? My plug is, and I've been thinking about this a lot because masks have just become compulsory to wear outside in Melbourne. My plug is wear a mask. And if you see someone who isn't, then ask them if they're all right and if they need help getting a mask and see if you can provide that mask to them no time for dobbing no time for snitching we're all in this together if someone doesn't have a mask it's probably because they can't access one and if you have the means to help them that is a good thing to do uh so I guess that's my plug for today wonderful plug Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed it, you can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify so you never miss an episode. You can also follow the Community Library on Instagram at the underscore community underscore library and use the hashtag the Community Library on Instagram or Twitter. I also have a blog, angawrieslibrary.wordpress.com and there you can find full transcriptions of the episodes and more links and resources. The podcast artwork is designed by Ashley Running. You can look at more of her work at ashleyrunning.com. Once again, thank you for listening. Thanks for hanging out with me, Bonnie. Thank you for having me, Gary. I promise I will get you back again soon. Oh,
1: thank you. Back in the good books. Maybe she'll give me five stars out of five. You
0: are definitely five tomato plants oh, out of five.
1: You're five tomato plants out of five. Oh my gosh! Stop. stop it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I will talk to you next time. Bye. Goodbye. One of the biggest things about her character is, oh, damn it, no. Oh, I'm recording a podcast episode. Hello, sorry, my sister just called me. And you know when it's like, end and accept, or like, accept, and I'm like, I don't understand. You know when it comes up with all those options? Yeah,
1: you're like, hold and accept, end and accept, end, end. (laughs) You're like, I I can't compute that. I chose the wrong one. (laughs)